five. And and for me, this is a really special series because I've been fully dead. And I know what it is to be fully dead, and I know what it is to be fully alive. I know what it is to feel fully dead, and also know what it is to like flatline and be pronounced fully dead, and to come on and, and just, just to see what God will do with a life that is given to him. And I think that as we explore the different aspects of what the cross means, what the cross accomplished, we really get to see the different uh, dynamics of what it means to be fully alive. And um, I'm just excited to be able to, to, to share on Good Friday uh, th- this part of the, of the series. And what I want to talk about is, uh, I want to talk about the bloke on the cross with Jesus. There was a bloke on the cross, there were two blokes on the cross, each side of Jesus on different crosses. And, but there's one guy I want to focus on, but we'll get there. Luke chapter 23, it says this, verse 38. Over Jesus' head on the cross was written an inscription in Greek, Latin and Aramaic. This man is the king of all the Jews. And the soldiers laughed and scoffed at him, saying, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? Now, before I continue reading, I'm just going to jump over to Matthew because uh, there's this little portion in Matthew and Mark that speaks about this thief on the cross a little bit different than Luke's gospel. And what it says in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it says this in Matthew 27, 44, it says, Even the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus began to taunt him, hurling their insults on him. But in Luke's gospel, he seems to glance over that bit. And then it's the soldiers were ridiculing him, saying, hey, why don't you come save yourself? And then we have this moment in verse 39 where there's a change of heart in one of the criminals. And it says, one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and us from this death. The criminal hanging on the other side, he had a, he had a change of heart. Something's happened at some point in this experience that this guy is going through where he was ridiculing Jesus. Him and his mate had partnered with the people who had captured them, convicted them, and and, and were in the process of executing them in the slowest, most horrific way probably in human history. And he's partnering with them and ridiculing Jesus. Him, his mate, his enemies, they're all turning on this one guy. Then for some reason, he shifts. For some reason that is not described in the scripture, he shifts. I want to know what happened for this bloke to shift. But I have to tell you that most of us here in this room have partnered with those that would mock the gospel. We've partnered with those that would compromise, those that would live the way of the world lived opposed to the gospel, even if we didn't uh, declare it with our mouth, even if we weren't outwardly expressing uh, hatred or anything towards God or his people. Our lives showed that. And we had a moment where we switched. I remember my moment. I'll share it in a little while, but we had a moment. And something happened with this guy, and he has a moment. 
And in his moment, all of a sudden, his mate's running his mouth and he turns and look at him and said, that's enough, man. It's like, that'll do. And, and he says here, he says, the guy's saying, you know, what kind of, I, lo- I love this, like, the guy's dying and he's still got, I mean, you have to give him credit for his humour. He's like, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself, which is what everybody's saying. He's like, and us. He's like, you know, come on, if you're the man, pull yourself down, but don't forget us. Don't, don't forget your little partners in crime here. And, but then, and then this thief, the one that had this change of heart, rebuked the man saying, don't you fear God, you're about to die. We deserve to be condemned. We're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. I wonder if it's this moment here where he's saying, we're about to die. His mortality is very, he's just so aware of his mortality. He's so aware that Life is going to end for him very shortly. He is going to step out of time and space and into eternity. And perhaps before that moment, he had no regard for what would come afterwards. Perhaps he was one who would be thinking, well, when I go and take a dirt nap, that's it. It's just me and the worms. No feeling, no memory, no nothing. Perhaps he wasn't concerned, but as he's on the brink, as he's on the, as he's on the very, very border between life and death, between time and eternity, suddenly he becomes aware that this matters. Suddenly he becomes aware that this is going to go forever, one way, shape or form. And in this moment... He changes his opinion of this man on the cross next to him. Instead of just being another crook on the cross on death row, he realises he's sitting next to a righteous man, someone who's done nothing wrong. But he realises more than that because he reaches further than correcting his friend, saying, oh, leave this bloke alone. He, he He takes it past there. He takes it past there and then makes a request of this man on the cross next to him. He makes a request that reaches past what merely a man can do. And he says this, We deserve to be condemned. We are just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. He's recognized somehow, he has miraculously, supernaturally recognized that the man next to him is not another man. It's not a simple human being there. He's realized that he's got God hanging on the cross next to him and he reaches across with more than words, with more than human understanding and he puts faith across. He puts faith across and he says, take me with you. Somehow in that moment, he's recognized a divine and an eternal opportunity where he's able to reach across the invisible, out of the possible into the impossible. And he makes this leap of faith. And he says, take me with you. Now, I love this story because this guy never got baptized. He never said the sinner's prayer. He never got dunked with, he never got 
born, he never got uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. He never went door knocking. He never did his Hail Marys. He never did anything that some of us, he never went and did more good stuff than bad stuff. He never did any of the things that the different uh, areas or the different denominations or the different bits and sects and all the rest of it say have to be done to qualify for heaven. All he did was be a crook and extend faith. That's it. That's it. The barrier to get to God is so low. It's so low. It's called grace. And he says here, extend grace to me. Extend grace to me. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Now, this is, I think, possibly the most beautiful words in the whole of Scripture. Jesus responded, I promise you this very day you will enter paradise with me. I love that on a couple of levels. On a theological level, I love the juggle of time and where we know that Jesus died on the Friday, rose on the Sunday, ascended to heaven uh, days later. But he said today, we can see that just time ends, eternity starts. We can see it. Practically, I love it because we've got this guy. He's been running around, stealing, killing. He's been captured, tortured. Paying out on the one next to him, but he has his moment, repents. And he enters his comfort and his eternal rest. I love the, the juxtaposition of, of, of just that, that time stops and starts and that he was such a sinner that he was worthy of death by every single standard, every single uh, national law that's going on at that point, but that he moves into righteousness and included with God and included as a, as a perfect person, enough for, because he had grace put on him, and God says, now you're perfect and you can come into heaven. And, and, and this, I just love it. And he did nothing to earn it. I, I just love it. And that's cool for him, right? Yeah? What about you and me? How does that change your day? How does it change my day? How does it stop being an interesting story in a book to a reality in my life? Like this bloke, I'm certain he would have heard of Jesus before. Jesus was quite the celebrity. At, in in uh, in his region, you know, people know about all like the you know the maths and the football players and the politicians and all of that would be Jesus and the different things going on in his day. He's the one that they would have been having the gossip columns about. He's the one that they would be, uh, you know, talking about and running down and lifting up and all of the fact, you know, and wearing the shoes. Wait, I've got my some like some Jesus sandals. All the air, you know, it just blows right through. No, but but these are the ones where people were actually like either I'm with him or I'm against him, and they were it was a, was a popular cult figure of his day. This guy would have heard of him. He would have known him. The same as in our culture, most of us know about Jesus. A lot of us know, at least loosely know the story. 
A lot of us who would be in church might have even read the story before. But at some point, it's got to stop being a story and start being reality. The same as when this man intellectually would have understood who Jesus claimed to be. He would have known that this guy was, uh, he was some sort of religious leader, religious uh, possibly. He was draw- and, and then, but then he made a choice and said, you know what? I'm all in. I believe this. This is stops being an idea that other people have and it's now a truth that I agree with. I believe. And for you and me, there has to come a moment where we actually jump in with both feet and say, I believe. Now, I know what it's like to feel dead. I know what it's like to feel possibly not the physical pain that this man would have been experiencing on the cross because what we do understand, it is possibly the most horrific pain a person can experience. Just And, and the, the Romans were excellent, torturous. <laughs> they, they were amazing at it. And they devised a method to be the most po- painful, prolonged form of execution possible. And they were in the process of doing it with this bloke. So possibly the pain he's experiencing I've not properly understood But I know that place. I know what it's like to wake up and feel nothing. I know what it's like to wake up and feel an internal agony and think, what is the point? I know what that's like. See, when I grew up, I I grew up in church and I believed in this Jesus that we're reading about. But when I was about 13, my parents separated. And I remember remember having this thought, like if they really loved me, if they really loved me, they, they, wouldn't, they, would have, they would have made it work. They would have stayed together. And I remember having this, like, uh, cognitively processing it like this, that if they don't love me, then I mustn't be worth loving. My little 13-year-old brain didn't, didn't read it that clear, didn't probably wouldn't have spelled it out so, like, like, like so succinctly, but I do actually remember having that thought process, and I do actually remember just thinking, wow, I must be worth nothing to people. I must be worth nothing. So what's the point? And then from there, just going on a journey of trying to find just where to belong and, and just went to some dark places, ended up addicted to drugs, hanging with the wrong people, just, just getting worse and worse. Doing a lot of the stuff the world says will make it is fun. A lot of the stuff the world says, this is the answer. This is what you're looking for. The parties and all of that stuff. Like this man on the cross, I became a criminal. I started doing armed robberies, selling drugs. A lot of, just a lot of bad stuff. Hurting people that did not deserve it. And I remember coming a time coming where my, I knew my life had to change. I knew it had to change. It was going nowhere. I hated being alive. I, I did not want to continue. I had actively tried to stop my own life a few times. But then one day my mum said to me, she said, Jacob, I don't want to speak to you again until you're in rehab. And I thought, rehab doesn't work. Once a junkie, always a junkie. But for some reason I thought, you know what? For you, I'm going to do this. And I remember thinking, when it doesn't work, I'm going to go 
as hard as I've ever gone and just run myself into the ground just until I, I just get locked up or killed. And I remember having that, you know, I was 21 years old and I had that clear plan. Then I went to this particular clinic to try and get into a rehab because, you know, mum said, I hadn't lived with my mum since I was 17, I had, but for some reason it, it I don't know, I, I really can't tell you the exact answer, but for some reason I did. I was living in this nice two-story place, parties all the time, everything, so not everything, but a lot of the stuff that, you know, I, I thought would make me happy. And I went there and there was a particular person and, and she mentioned a place called Adult and Teen Challenge and I'd heard someone talk about it years before. I remember them saying that it was a God place, that God had helped them get off heroin at this place. And I remember I was at the back of this auditorium when they said it and I remember in my most impolite French disagreeing with this person and saying, you're either not being completely upfront with us all. Don't know if that was the exact language I used. But I said, you're either never were a, an addict, or you're lying to us now, and you still have got a. You still you're secretly an addict because you don't get off this stuff. And then years later, I'm, I'm at this place. I was only 21 years old still. It, but this lady said, I think this would be a good fit for you. I think Adult and Teen Challenge would be a good fit for you. And I remembered that this lady had said that it was Adult and Teen Challenge was a God place. God had helped her get off heroin then. And I've said to this lady, I've said, are you a Christian? Are you trying to push God on me? Now, I'd grown up in church. God had never done anything bad to me. There was, I had no negative experiences, and I know people have negative experiences with church. That was not my experience. I just had gone my own way. And then she's like, no, no, well, we'll find you somewhere else. But in that little split second, that little microsecond between me saying, you're trying to push God on me, and she said, no. That, that far apart, there was this little moment where I, I prayed inside my head, but you know you can pray in your head and God hears you? Do you know that? The Bible talks about praying silently in your mind and God hears you. And I said to God in that moment, I said, God, if you're real, because I'd stopped believing in God a long time ago, if you're real, I said, you can stop me wanting to use drugs. Because I, I, I knew I needed to stop, but I didn't want to stop. I said, and if you do that, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And the lady's like, no, no, we'll find you somewhere else. And I'm like, no, no, give me the God place. And she's like, no, no, we'll find you somewhere else. And then there was a person that was doing armed robberies and, and all of those things. I'm like, lady, give me the God place. And she, I don't really remember much of it. But then two months later, I found myself down at Adult and Teen Challenge. And it was another week before the... I was really, really sick detoxing. And I remember there was a church service and I, the pastor is just an amazing man of God, Pastor Brian Waitley. We actually buried him on Monday. Uh, he, just, uh, he, he, he preached a message and he come up afterwards and he's like, oh, he's like, you need to connect with God. And I'm like, no, I'm a Christian, man. I you know, went to church as a kid. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. And then, you know, a week later, uh, part of the 
part of the, the program is you've got to do classwork. It's all like, you know, dealing with your problems and how the Bible interacts with your problems and how the Bible helps your life get better. And, it's, and there's a section in it where it's like, do you want Jesus to be the leader of your life? And I remember reading that passage and I'm like, I knew I needed to make that decision. I knew the right answer was yes. I knew the best answer for my life was yes. But inside me was so much rebellion, so much mistrust, so much just a commitment to do things my way. And I sort of sat there for a couple of days with that question there. And then one of the days I'm like, you know what? I've done it myself this far and it has really not worked out for me. It really hasn't worked out for me. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? And then I made this decision to, to let Jesus be the leader of my life. And like that thief on the cross, it was that moment where I'm like, you know what? I believe you are who you say you are, and I need your help. It was that moment. And I can't say everything just got better straight away because it didn't. It was, it was a horrific process going through the detox and all of that, but God just slowly started chipping away, started chipping away. Went through the program, did an internship. I joined the staff team there. And, and, and God's been amazing to me. But what I really started to see as I was going through that process was there's a passage in John chapter 10 and verse 10, and it says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus, the words of Jesus. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I had personally experienced the thief, the world, the enemy, the devil, trying to rip my life apart, trying to destroy my life. I know what it feels like to wake up in the morning and have this external force pulling me to do, just to go and waste my time, waste my life. I know what that feels like. But then Jesus says the most remarkable thing. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And this year in April, May, in May this year, it'll be 20 years since I've been drug free. And, and I just have to say that in that 20 years, God has, first of all, just set me free from addiction, just changed me at a fundamental level as far as uh, dealing with anger and processing some of, uh, you know, compulsive behaviors and just some, you know, really, really just internal stuff. It just, just fixed me. I don't even have, like, the proper words for it. I remember one day sitting at, at, by a fireplace and I had this jumper on that my dad had given me and in the sleeve it had been stitched up because we'd been in a fight and did some stuff had got cut in that fight on, the, on that jumper and it had been stitched up and, and I remember sitting that, with that and I actually burnt that jumper because it was evidence for bad things so I burnt that later on. But I remember there just in this jumper... And then I had this feeling come over me, this feeling. And, and it was like, I didn't know what it was. At first it scared me. And it was like a wave and I was just like, everything in me wanted just to, you know, when you like push this feeling away. And then, but there was just something inside of me that said, no, no, just let it be, let it be. And then the wave come again. And, and then after a little while, I, was just, I realized that this wave was just waves of peace, security, joy, 
For the first time in so many years, I wasn't afraid. For the first time in so many years, I was happy to be me. I was happy in my, I was okay. And I've been through a lot of stuff since that day. I've lost people that I love more than life. I've, I've had some amazing experiences, some devastating experiences, some huge ups and downs. But that feeling, that sense of peace, that sense of safety, that sense of security has never left me. God has done some cool stuff with me. We've written a book that's it's a bestseller and has just changed hundreds if not thousands of lives. Been able to travel to different parts of the world, share the gospel with so many people. I've got three beautiful kids, an amazing wife. A lot of people in our church have been impacted through what God's done in my life. And this life that was on a knife's edge, going nowhere, God was able to take it and, 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 and do something cool with it. He was able to take something that was broken and hurting and, and, and not just make it feel better or make it better. It was able to take it and make it something useful, make it something that's gone made an impact in the world. And, and mine's an extreme example. But the Bible talks to us and says that God's not a respecter of persons. He says, what he's done for one, he'll do for another. Mine's an extreme example. But I know there are a lot of people who look at their life and think, you know what? I think it's supposed to be more than this. I think it's supposed to be more than this. I think it's supposed to be more than wake up, go to work, pay the bills, watch Netflix, go to bed, wake up, go to work, pay the bills, repeat till you're dead. And somewhere inside of us, we know that. And Jesus put it like this, John chapter 10 and verse 10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And that's what he wants to do to you. That's what he wants to do for you. That's what the cross is for. That's what the cross is for. Yeah, the cross is like that thief is to take us into eternity with Christ long term. But now, before then, he wants to give you a rich and satisfying life. That's what this Easter is all about. God has an amazing plan for your life. Now and in eternity. I'm just going to say a prayer. And if let's invite us to all close our eyes. I'm going to pray. It says here in that scripture I was reading in Luke, it says, One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him. He kept maintaining his opinion of Jesus. He kept his original understanding of this man next to him. One softened his heart. And decided to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And for us, we face that same decision, that same moment. And I really believe God has got you here now. He's got you here because it's an opportunity for you to assess your opinion of who he is. We're going to say a prayer as a church. And I'd invite everybody who, who has already made the decision to that they want to follow Christ and they're a follower of Christ, I want you to join in as we pray. But if you're someone who 
It might be a bit like these guys on the cross with Jesus where you've been undecided or even you've actually been antagonistic against him. But you might be in a place today where you'll say, you know what? I've been resisting for long enough. Today, I want to put my trust in this Jesus. And if that's you, as we say this prayer, I just want you to join us. And I just let, let's all pray together. Just repeat after me. Dear God, today I choose to follow you. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you have an amazing plan for my life. Today, I choose to follow you. Please forgive me for living life my own way. Help me. Walk with me for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just would invite you just to slip your hand in the air so I can see it. I'd love to meet with you afterwards and pray with you. I see that hand there. I see that hand there. Just one moment longer. This is a holy moment, church. Thank you, Jesus. I love, we're gonna, I'd love to come and meet with you afterwards and pray with you and just give you a, just a small pack of information to help you get started in your walk with God. I just want to pray for all of us. Jesus, I believe that you've got an amazing plan for our lives, that you truly do want to give us a life that is rich and satisfying. God, I know that we can only have this life and we walk it in step with you. Lord, we just ask that you, you just put your grace on us so that we can experience that life. And on this Good Friday, Lord, we just recognize and are so grateful for everything you've done for us. We're so grateful, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're just going to sing one more song. And, and, you know, if God ministered to you through that time of, of, of um, as I was sharing or Pastor Mel was sharing and we took communion together. Just, just as we're worshipping, I just, 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 you know, let God speak to you about it. And just invite you to take your feet again. And we're just going to just sing one more song before we close.